Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. It's Phil and John today, and the AC kicked on for the first time here. That means it's iced coffee weather. On today's episode, we'll talk about Phil turning, how many techniques are too many techniques, and all the updates that are going on here at Woodsmith. I want to thank Tightbond for sponsoring today's episode. You want a glue that you can trust. And fortunately, Tightbond has the glue you need to get the job done with confidence. From interior glues with strong initial tack and short clamp time to exterior glues with exceptional strength and water resistance, look to Tightbond, the right glue for your next project. For more information, visit tightbond.com. Happy almost middle of April. Yes. I'm so excited. <laughs> false, false spring is almost here. Right. Yep. Actually, it's yeah, false summer, had, I think, right now. It's in the 80s the last couple of days. Yeah, so. We had false spring last weekend, thankfully for Easter, which was nice. Yeah. So we'll take it. But we know that there's at least one more solid freeze in here yet, yeah. if not more. Right. But yeah, it's been nice walking the dog uh, on my evening walk and not having to have her or me bundled way up and mm-hmm. can skip the sweaters and the booties and all that kind of stuff. So I don't often turn. It's usually something I'm very happy to leave to Logan because mm-hmm. he gets really into it. But for a project that I'm working on for video edition, the Pullman desk, I think I started, I mean, I started a year ago, let's be honest, because it was November. Um, The base on it has four legs that are turned. And by turned, it's the bare minimum. It's just a a cylinder, Mm -hmm. which wasn't, wasn't too bad. And I do like using, for the turning that I've done, it is rather enjoyable to use those carbide turning tools because they're accessible. I know that they're slower or can be slower than other turning tools, but I've liked it. It wasn't too bad. Yep. Yeah. I don't do any turning, but you made it look easy. So I I guess anybody can do it. Mm Mm-hmm. That's really the moral of the story there right. is that if I can make it look easy, anybody can turn with those. <laughs> it was kind of, I had five legs because I knew somewhere in this process that I would dork something up. Mm-hmm. So I started on my fifth leg, so to speak, and kind of got the hang of it a little bit. And yeah, the first couple of legs took 10 minutes to do. And then the last, last three were were pretty fast. So that was nice. Mm-hmm. Solid advice. If you have uh, a part that gets complex at the end is to make extras as you go, as you have the setups, because it's always hard to go back and then match like mortises or sizes or, or different things. So it's good to make a couple extra if they're small, simple parts. So, right. Yeah. And that one, and I don't know why I did either. It was because that's not something I normally do, even though that's great advice. And I've given that mm-hmm. advice to other people. Um, 
but in this case it was nice to have an extra leg to practice on and get it kind of get that rhythm back in there again so it's happy to do it yeah i have a couple of tool handles i'd like to turn again and now that i've turned here recently i think i'll gives me a little more confidence to do it Mm -hmm. yeah i've just never turned i've never i guess found the need for round parts that i couldn't purchase i guess or maybe i've just never been forced to do it and pick it up i'm sure i would enjoy it if i picked that skill up but haven't done it yet so yeah and you know i've watching logan in these last few years pick up turning as a as a branch of woodworking that he enjoys he has proven the exact thing for why i have kind of deliberately avoided turning and that's because in my view as soon as you get a lathe you are kind of on the hook for about 800 other things that you need to get and I say need mm-hmm. to get in air quotes because I've watched him, you know, start with carbide turning tools and then he got this gouge and that gouge and a parting tool and scroll chucks and all kind of whatnot. Yeah. And not only that, I have a problem enough keeping wood. Now, when you're a turner, like every piece of roadside firewood or wind blown debris is a potential bowl. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or, I mean, you go down as small as pin blanks, then you're just like holding on to everything. <laughs> yeah. so. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. So it is nice to have that available here at work. So, you know, and like I said, I just use those carbide tools and that's been, that's been fine for me. The other thing I think is my woodworking time is precious enough as it is that um, turning, I feel, at least the amount that I've done is you kind of got to keep those skills up. Because if you don't turn, you know, if you're doing other types of woodworking and then come back to turning after a long time, then it takes a little bit to get up to speed, I think, in terms of confidence and how the tool is working and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the other thing for me too, is like making say like four exact leg, like they're all matching is an art form. And I just have the mindset of, Like I need some sort of jig or something that makes it repeatable. Like I don't have that artist. I'm more, yeah, I don't know what it is. If it's the engineering brain, that's like, I've got to be able to (laughs) duplicate it exactly each time without fail or without having like, you know, the creative artistic side of just letting things free form. So I guess that's maybe another reason I haven't gotten to turning. So. I can see that because, yeah. I mean, I was just doing cylinders and, mm-hmm. you know, from a right distance, they're all about the same diameter. So 
So thankfully that's all it was, but yeah, yeah. that would, that would get to me, even though yeah. you constantly hear Turner's say like, you know, they don't have to be identical. They just have to look similar enough because mm -hmm. they're never really going to be, you know, right next to each other. True. But I think I'd know. Yeah. I'll know. Yeah. That reminds me, we got yeah. a, um, how to come Facebook. Somebody wrote in, they watched, um, and one of the season 16 episodes and they, uh, had a problem that we didn't stain the complete interior of a drawer cavity that wasn't going to be seen later. And that just really like kind of irked them that, um, we didn't do that, even though it wasn't going to be seen. And we've had that argument here that many craftsmen <laughs> don't finish the undersides or the in insides or backs of projects where I'm kind of that, the opposite argument where it's like, if I've gone to the trouble, I've got to do everything. I've got to paint the wall behind the kitchen cabinets and cause I'll know, I'll know that everything's not the same or not finished or bugs me. So maybe it's just me. Yeah. I got to let go. No, I, I remember having that discussion cause we were, when Brian Nelson was still here, he, before he joined Woodsmith and shop notes, he was working at McDonnell Douglas, the aircraft company. And he is a very precise fellow all mm -hmm. to his credit. And he's a, if you're going to put stain on something, all the surfaces get stained, even the ones that nobody's ever going to see. And I'm more of a, let's just get the visual parts. And that's really all that matters. Cause mm -hmm takes long enough to put stain and finish on something rather than right. having it in places where nobody's ever going to see. Like you yeah. said, that, and that was probably an episode that I did where I was putting stain on, you know, like it's a drawer cavity. So I'll mm -hmm. get, you know, whatever that frame is around it so that you don't see like a bright white line, you know, at different angles or however the gap is on there. But yeah, so I'll go back like an inch maybe two. It's mm -hmm. not a precise line. It's going to be pretty sloppy. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, to your defense, it is a lot harder to stain and finish inside of boxes just because it gets tight and the corners and yeah. runs and buildups and different areas or trying to spray into a box. You always get that blowback. So it is exponentially <laughs> yeah. harder. Right. I always feel like at that point, especially when you get like smaller drawer cavities, like you end up wearing a lot of stain than yourself. Yeah. You got to make sure you have your smock on. So what have you been working on, John? Um, well, lots of stuff at work, but, um, I was in and out. You saw parts going in and out. Uh, I was building a, uh, kind of a raised garden planter box for home. Uh, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I have a graduating senior coming up, so it's time for unnecessary projects to get done. So this, <laughs> so for some reason, I had to start a raised garden bed planter box for this okay. graduation party to happen. So, but yeah, I was telling you guys that, uh, my daughter has a couple guinea pigs and they go through a lot of 
lettuces and vegetables. So we have a little garden for them because apparently nobody else in our family eats greens or vegetables, but, <laughs> but they do. So they get nothing but the best. Right. Salads. So daily, yeah. but, but it'll look nice. I got it done, uh, last night and filled with dirt and so oh, hopefully cool. it all works out, but so that was my unnecessary project for the week and see what else I can get into in the next so month So is that something so. that you just kind of got uh, the idea and just jumped at it or was it requested yeah, at all? Or? No, I don't know that it was requested. We had like a smaller um, kind of deal that was um, given to us and I redid our uh, part of our stone patio in it and I had this little section that kind of lent itself to uh planter uh raised garden type type of deal so it had been kind of in the works or it you know kicking around my brain for the last year or so so it was just something that wanted to get done and wasn't too difficult so hopped on it while the weather was starting to get warm outside and so yeah once the weather warms up it you just feel a little more inspired creatively perhaps Mm -hmm. you know where you just all of a sudden see stuff outside where it's like this could use a little little tidying up yeah yeah it feels good to after a long kind of gray winter it starts to warm up and the grass starts to get green and get back out in the garage and or or shop and get to do fun things like that yeah, I know this weekend, because it was nice, I had the opportunity to have a little bit of shop time. And since it was nice out, I was making some spoons. And uh, just brought my shave horse and some tools out on the deck. And my daughter was out doing homework, sitting out there in the sunshine. And I was carving away and... It was enjoyable. I feel like my dream shop would either be like one of those baseball stadiums with a retractable roof mm-hmm. or would have a big garage door or big carriage door or something like that that would go out onto like a porch or a patio or something that mm-hmm. you could feel outside when it was when it was nice out. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen um like the outdoor sheds uh, size shops where it's got, um, like French doors or, or garage or on either end. So it's like, it oh, may yeah. be only like 10 by 10, but it opens up on either end. So then now you got room to in feed and out feed for your table saw goes to the there outdoors, open it up and blow all the yeah. dust out. And so <laughs> it's pretty nice. Maybe that would be the big benefit of it is you can open up both mm-hmm. and then you just get a through breeze that can yep. just clean the shop for you exactly because i think that's you know going back to the turning part i think that's another thing that would drive me nuts about turning is and this is going to surprise people namely my wife that it's a how much of a mess turning makes Mm -hmm. and my shop isn't the cleanest as it is but like I was making those four legs and it was just spraying little tiny bits of walnut all over the place. It took a mm-hmm. while to clean up and sweep up and 
Yeah, it can kind of go everywhere. Yeah. So. So, and I think that would be nice about having an outdoor shop because it was, you know, I did all that carving and, you know, had little chips or whatever. And by that evening, you know, most of those had kind of blown off underneath the deck or I'm sure a number of birds picked them up and used them for making nests and filling out nest cavities and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So returning it back to nature. Yeah. Yeah. It's recycling really yep. circle of life. <laughs> exactly. Today's podcast is brought to you by tight bond. You want a glue that you can trust. And fortunately tight bond has the glue you need to get the job done with confidence from interior glues with strong initial tack and short clamp time to exterior glues with exceptional strength and water resistance. Look to Tightbond, the right glue for your next project. For more information, visit tightbond.com. So yeah, it's, it feels kind of good to be getting closer on wrapping up this desk project that I have just because it's felt like it's taken a long time. And I also went through a hard middle on it. I don't know if you've had that with projects where there's the enthusiasm of starting and making progress on it. And then on this desk, there were a couple of little details that just kind of bugged me. Like they're not going to be there on the finished project or nobody's mm -hmm. going to know about them, but it just was a bit of discouragement. So I consciously, unconsciously avoided working on it because it was bugging me. Mm -hmm. And then I, since I'm doing it for video, we got to get it done for video project. So I ended up kind of having to work through it, which was good therapy. And now I'm really pleased with how it's turning out and it's going to be a sweet looking project. So that part's exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is the one good thing about doing projects on video is kind of holds you accountable and makes you finish them. So <laughs> like there's no lo losing momentum because Becky's right behind you with a pointy yep. stick keeping you going. <laughs> So <laughs> that's exactly right. She's, <laughs> she's on it. But yeah, on the other hand though, then it's also hard to start a project on video because then you know, you have to finish it. <laughs> right. So it's yeah. like, once I get started, there's no stopping. Yeah. We can't just bail out on this one and be like, ah, I don't know that this yeah. is the right project. Yes. Yeah. It didn't work out. Yeah. You don't get that luxury. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And then I have my, uh, steamer trunk or travel trunk project going along. And that one, again, I kind of hit a little, not as bad, but there was a little stretch where it was like, I just don't know because I'm trying to incorporate wheels into it. And I finally figured that out. And now all of a sudden I'm making quite a bit of progress on that. And I'm really liking how that's going to turn out. It's ready for paint. And I just got to get like a little roller to, put the paint on. Cause I think if I put, use a small foam roller on the plywood with the milk paint that I'm going to use, it's going to give me a nice, it's going to have a little texture to it so that it'll look like those old British trunks that had mm -hmm. kind of a cloth, cloth wrapped texture on it. So, yeah. So you're going to make it look aged like a little aged bit painted finish or, yeah. To a certain extent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
more worn, just not shiny and brand new. So right. it's going to look that like it's nice. been thrown on and off a train a couple of times. That's my kind of finish. Like, <laughs> just make it look like it fell off a train or a truck. And so, yep. Part of the look of it is those old trunks had like exposed bent wood strapping that kind of went around the lid and the main case on it. And I didn't do any bending, but I made little corner pieces and then slotted them so that there's like little splines or really tiny loose tenons that connect it to the straight parts. And those were kind of fun to get the sizes right and the look of it. So now that I have a couple of them just kind of roughly placed on there just to to see how they were. And then when I was gluing them up, uh, I'm, it's going to be a really cool, really cool little project. So yeah, I'm happy. So one of the articles that I'm working on for current issue of Woodsmith is, uh, uh, a technique article on mortising. And it came about because of something that we were doing on the show. And I don't even remember what it was for. I think it was the clock episode that I had to do a bunch of mortising on. And, you know, the one technique that we always show in the magazine is using a Forstner bit, drilling out overlapping holes, we always call it, and then chisel the sides smooth and the ends square and... Uh, and I've never really liked that technique and I don't know why I think the big reason is, is that I've it doesn't feel consistent enough you know like if I use a mm -hmm. plunge router and some kind of a guide whether it's a you know guide bushing and a template or just an edge guide and whatever like pretty much all of your mortises are going to be close enough to identical from piece to piece that it's easy to fit tenons to. Mm -hmm. And I've just felt like with the, with the drill press technique that I never could do that. And maybe it's because I just didn't practice it enough or there were other ways of doing it. But on this clock episode, I was drilling it out and then kind of remembered something that I had read years ago about, Normally when we get, you know, when we talk about it, you drill these holes that are overlapping and it looks like a Eric Carl drawing of the very hungry caterpillar. And then, so you have these very distinct nibs between the drilled holes that you end up paring away with the chisel. And that's the part that gets me. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought, why not just keep drilling? Yeah. So you just keep drilling out those nibs. So instead of doing like two passes or whatever, I end up like doing three passes and you can get a pretty smooth walled mortise, which is really nice because that essentially eliminates that step of chiseling down the sides. And then I remembered uh, an article um, Chris Be Christian Bexford wrote in Fine Woodworking and for doing the ends of the mortises, he just basically drove his chisel straight down on the end and then you pry it back 
into the mortise. And then the edge of the chisel kind of scrapes the wall of the mortise and, you know, just a few mallet blows and bam, the end of the mortise is squared up. Mm -hmm. So I've done that on, I did that on the clock and then here on the desk project that I was working at. And it's a surprisingly fun, easy to use technique. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I kind of came across the same thing last week we were building um those benches and oh yeah, yeah we did three different benches so i was like trying to hurry up and keep up with uh chris as he was building a bench i was building the other two parts and kind of had the same thing where i was drilling out the mortises using a half inch four center bit and would drill them out and then it's like well if, yeah if i could just keep kind of drilling it takes all the little nibs away and uh i did very little chiseling kind of just you know smoothed it up at the end but yeah because when you you leave all those nibs in there and you're chiseling out you always get the kind of schmutz and crud at the bottom <laughs> yes. that's really hard to get out and it's like oh man but when yeah if you just keep drilling with the forstner bit it clears out you know the bottom of it and whatnot but yeah i have found like say drilling uh, like quarter inch mortises, like a quarter inch four center bits, really small. So you're, you'd probably use a Brad point bit and it'll deflect a lot. And they kind of, they're not, like you said, they're not real consistent. They kind of yeah. goes everywhere. And then you're trying to get the little nibs in between and it's deflecting away from those and going right. all willy nilly, but it worked really, really well with the the half inch four center bit. So half inch and larger with a four center bit is really, you know, handy to just, keep, you know, at it and drilling all the little nibs away. And then the other two, they, the thing I found was on one of the benches, I squared up the ends of the mortise of, yeah. to get it to, to square the chisel. And then the other one is like, well, that took too long. So I just took a file and rounded off the tenons to right. fit the rounded. So then, yeah, that's kind of one of the questions you go with is do you round the tenons or square the mortise or yeah, how do you do it? So. Yeah, and most of the time on stuff like that, I'm more of a round the tenon kind of person because mm -hmm. it feels like, you know, depending on what the material is, you know, if you're working in oak, to me, it's easier to take a rasp or a file. Cause it's not, you know, nobody's, unless it's a through tenon, nobody's seeing it. So mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be a perfectly radiused edge to the tenon to fit into the mortise. You just got to knock off the corners enough for that thing to drop in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I found too. Even taking a, a chisel kind of paring away down the end grain was enough yeah. to round it, round it off and get it to fit. So it was just easier to get it roughly round than getting the, the mortise perfectly square. So, right. It worked yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. We got it done. Yeah. And the nice thing about that technique is, you know, like a drill press, in terms of shop tools is a relatively quiet tool, mm -hmm. you know, so doing a bunch of mortises, isn't a screaming loud operation. Uh, you know, once you have the bit positioned and the fence all set up and, you know, you can put a stop on there if you need to, or want to, or whatever, but it's a, there's a, you get into a rhythm and you just keep, keep working at it. So, mm -hmm. I'm going to, going to file that away as one of my favorite 
mortising techniques. And it's one of those things, and this is where I was going with the introduction is, you know, I'm normally, I'm one of those kind of people where it's like you figure out a technique to do X operation in woodworking and get good at it. And then even if your plan or whatever says to use a different technique, just stick with what you know mm-hmm. and get good at it so that that becomes a reliable thing to do. For, you know, like for the most part, I've always been like a router mortiser. You know, I'm going to make a template or set up an edge guide, something, and then I can just buzz out mortises and I know that they're going to be the way I want them to be. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of interesting to have, you know, like where's the balance between, you know, having that mastery over a specific technique versus, you know, knowing two or three different ways to approach something. And yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't know if this confuses Woodsmith readers, but we show lots of different techniques to do lots of different types of joint or whatever. Just, I don't know if it's cause we're bored or, we just like to teach lots of different things, but yeah, you don't have to do it the way that we show it. If you want to cut a mortise and tenon the way you know how to do it, then, you know, do it that way and yeah. get good at it, like you said. And, but yeah, there's lots of ways to do it. So, right. You know, same thing with like the tenon part of it that, you know, we've kind of always defaulted to a dado blade and the table saw and kind of plow away at it that way. Um, but I know some people, like personally, I'm kind of a, I like doing tenons on the bandsaw. Mm-hmm. So I'll set up my bandsaw to make the tenons, cut the shoulders with a handsaw usually, and there I am. Or, you know, if they're really small, I'll use a router table and a straight bit. But, but yeah, it's, yeah, I've, that's one thing since becoming the editor for Woodsmith that I've wanted to do is to not feel like there's a woodsmith way of doing something Hmm. and you're right it could maybe it does confuse people that'd be interesting to find out from other people to know is does it confuse you if we're showing multiple ways of doing it i guess what i always looked at it was is that we were being too preachy on Hmm. like this is how you cut a tenon with a data blade in a table saw if you don't have one then you're screwed you can't make tenons just glue yeah. them together and see what happens. Yeah. No, personally, yeah, I like to see different ways of doing it because maybe the way I'm doing it, like there's a, you know, better way for the tools I already have or, you know, just try something different. But but we do know one thing. There is only one way to cut a centered groove. <laughs> so That's that true. is just a fact of the matter. Yep. But, yeah, I guess the other thing Truth. too is depending on the type of wood that you're using, because uh, like Chris was hand cutting mortises and cypress the other day, but then it was like, that's not for me when it comes to red or white oak. I'm I'm gonna go to something else. I'm gonna right use a spinning yeah. bit to remove the waste here. Yeah, yeah, because I think we talked about that last time with Chris. Yeah, and he was in Cyprus, so admittedly a softwood, but, and he did a lot of 
because he was like a landscape designer kind of whatever in a previous life. So he's done a lot of trellises and decks and arbors and all that kind of stuff. So he and the outdoor softwoods are very good friends. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, you're not going to do that in, in Oak. At least not with the way I sharpen tools. (laughs) (laughs) Although I was still surprised, even with the router template that you had set up. And they weren't big mortises. It still Mm -hmm. took a while to route those out. Yeah, and and I drilled out most of it with a Forstner bit, and it was still tough. So, I don't know. I just make things look hard. It's my talent. It's a good one to have. Just yeah. um, it keeps the mystery in it because it's yeah. like John does that, and look at how hard that seems. Right. I'm not going to do that. It's like, not going to try it because it looks hard. Yeah. So we're wrapping up an issue of Woodsmith, and it has one of your projects in. Mm-hmm. Sadly, not the cover. Nope. You know, got to let other other people participate too, or they lose hope. So yeah, yeah, that's true. But I kind of I've kind of uh, assumed that when there was a workbench, a nice workbench in the magazine, it's like that's going to get the cover. Yeah, every time. Yeah, people love a good workbench. So yeah, it is kind of funny because uh, we have in the vast corporate machinery that we have here a newsstand consultant and even she knows that workbench covers are the thing. Mm-hmm. And if it were up to her, I think we'd put a workbench on every cover. Yeah. Be fine with me. Right. So, so yeah, but yeah, no, we do have a, a Chris Fitch designed workbench that is pretty impressive. I think. See, it always seems like when we get to the end of a issue, it's like, what was the project that I had for this issue? Because we've, the designers have like <laughs> tried to move on to the next issue, but I think what was mine, the, the craftsman style chest? Yes. We're calling yeah. it. So yep. yeah, continuation of the craftsman style bedroom furniture that started many moons ago. Yep. So I think it's time you branched out from bedroom furniture for that style yeah Yeah. there's just yeah a lot of different ways we can go there yeah so keep milking the golden goose as we say yep i was thinking maybe like a like a kitchen island or yeah uh like a kitchen work table Mm -hmm. you know before islands were cool and a thing yeah there was you know you see a lot of historic houses and they had uh basically a table in there that maybe with a shelf below it or something, a couple mm-hmm. of big drawers. I think that would be kind of cool. Yeah. It's like a workbench for your kitchen. Yes. There we go. Yeah. Kitchen workbench. So, yeah. I think it's been a long time since we've done like an Island. I think I remember, uh, it was one of the, like the first week that I worked here 18 years ago, we were, I helped move an Island down into Kim's kitchen. It was. Oh yeah. Like a, I think, I don't remember if it was a woodsmith project or a workbench project, but it, uh, it was a workbench project. Yeah. I remember that one. Yeah. I think it was Oak and it's cool, but yeah. yeah, 
So that's what I did. First week I was here. Okay. Move furniture. <laughs> Still moving furniture. That was furniture. part of your hazing is just yeah. doing a bunch of manual like, this labor. This is what you're going to be doing. Moving furniture. Probably because you were the young guy on yeah. the design staff. So it was like, yep. we got a fresh back. Yep. Yeah, I was... How old would I have been when we started? 26 or so. And everybody was really old. They were probably like my age now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Near retirement. Yeah. Yeah. Like, got a lot of city miles. anymore. Yeah. So... Yep, so we have the the craftsman style chest. We have an arts and craft style side table um from an interpretation by Chris from a Charles Limper Limbert design, which is I think is a really cool look to it. Mm -hmm. Cause a lot of arts and craft stuff, like your craftsman dresser, is straight lines. But this one is not. It, there's tapers and mm -hmm. You know, unique cutouts in it that I think are a good counterpoint to it. Yep. So, yep. And the workbench. Charles would flew the transatlantic flight and designed furniture, right? <laughs> yeah. Same Charles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the I same. Think. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it could be. They might be very related. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Yep. And then what's the other one? We got. The Skittles table. I Skittles table. So we have, uh, it's a British pub game mm -hmm. called Table Skittles. Kind of like bowling. There's pins on a, on the table, and then you throw little round discs, bigger than a hockey puck, about inch and a half thick, four inches in diameter, called cheeses because they're about the mm -hmm. they have a, the look of a wheel of cheese. Um, and I think it's fun. It's a cool project. And then the outdoor chair that Dylan designed. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, fun stuff. Yep. Can't wait for people to see it and hear back from them and what they think. Yep. So... All right. Last week, we did an episode and talked about old tools and uh, just a couple of comments on it. We had Fearsome Warrior says it was a great show. And Vince says, wanted to know if, why we stopped making videos of the seasons that we put on. And I don't think we have stopped. Yeah. Because that's something you do is take excerpts yeah. from previous seasons. Yeah, I don't and know. Put I don't know YouTube. that I've gotten the current season stuff up, but that's usually about around now when I get yeah. that, get them up. So pick a few excerpts from the show and put them up on YouTube. So sure, we'll get on that. I guess. Yeah. So. So, all right. And then free plan for this week, for this episode, uh, is kind of a fun one. It's a throwback one. It's a it's a nightlight project that is a box 
with a bulb on the inside. And then in the front is some scroll sawn or CNC'd or however you want to do it, patterns. We have them arranged seasonally for different uh, different seasons that you can go in there. So it's a little bit of an accent light. It's kind of a fun project. We've had it sitting around. I mean, this one's from olden days in Woodsmith, and we still had it for a long time here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fun to fun to look at. So you'll find the plans for that or a link to the plans on the show notes page and also on the YouTube version of the podcast. So if you have any questions or suggestions, I want to hear about it. You can send us an email woodsmith at woodsmith.com or you can leave a comment on our YouTube channel where you'll also see a lot of our other videos, like John said, of uh, excerpts from shows and projects and techniques and tools and all that kind of stuff. So special thanks to Tightbond for sponsoring today's episode. You can learn all about their different glues at tightbond.com. My favorite glue recently has been their speed set. Uh, It's been fun to be able to work on some projects. A lot of times you want extra time gluing up. Sometimes you need to just get it glued up and you know that the glue is going to tack. Speed set is the one that does it. So check that out at tightbond.com. Otherwise, we will see you next week, everybody, on the Shop Notes podcast. Bye. Bye.